Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Jokes with Mark Simmons, a podcast where I chat to another comedian about jokes that they can't get to work. As always, I'm joined by producer Joel. Hello, presenter Mark. So, oh, presenter Mark, I like that. Mm. Thanks for. Quite often, comedians on their um, profiles and stuff, they put comedian, writer, and presenter, and they. Yeah. Ne- I, I don't think many have ever presented. I, I did that, mm. and I hadn't ever presented. <laughs> when, like probably a month after I started comedy, I'd, I put that. Nice. nice. <laughs> It's so funny. I used to tell everyone I was a comedian. I wasn't. It was a hobby. <laughs> and wow. And, that, yeah. and how do you feel? Were you more confident telling people you're a comedian then than you are now? Not more. I don't. I don't. It, I, don't it, I don't feel I need to tell anyone now. But yeah. Back then, true. I wanted everyone to know that I was doing this yeah. cool thing. But I suppose I don't know. You're not doing it anymore, really, though. Are you? Oh, I'm doing it online <laughs> quite a lot, Joe. I'm doing zooms. How are they going? Good, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, had a, I had a birthday party one the other day. Nice. Yeah, doing someone's birthday party. That's now, fun. You, you'd think that would be a bit weird, just me and six people that know each other and I don't. Yeah. But no, it was great. I, I sort of did know them a little bit. Um, oh, what sort of stuff did you do? Did, um, I did, did some you jokes. Like a set <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, did, I, did, I did a set, but I did, did a lot of chat. But yeah, it was just nice. I, I was only booked for 20. I did about... I don't know, 35 minutes, I think. Just It's just fun. I well, just... there you go, listeners. If you're thinking about booking someone for a Zoom gig, <laughs> how about that? Over delivery. What, what, what about that for value for money? Yeah, exactly. Bloody hell. I bet they're trying to get... Oh, they, they wanted to get rid of you by the end of it. They were looking at their watches. They, they were, actually. But <laughs> yeah, it's just they, they just left the call. It's just me. <laughs> but it's just nice to have some company, Joel. Yeah, yeah I bet. Uh, what else have you been up to, Mark? What else have I been up to, Joel? Oh, had always oh, had some had a bit of drama on TikTok. Oh no! What happened? I uh, did I got... they find out your age and kick you off the platform? <laughs> You're so. Whenever I make a joke, <laughs> you just, isn't isn't the first rule of like first rule of among among comedians is that you've got to laugh along? Isn't that isn't, yeah? Isn't that the thing? Yeah, yeah. But I think it's quite funny just. Being what what you've done to me there what, is what so mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. What was the question? Oh, TikTok. Mm. Yeah. So so I logged on and they basically found out my age and kicked me off the platform. So. What what happened? What happened? <laughs> it was it was a little bit to do with my age actually. Genuinely was. Okay. Um, I went on there and it just came up your date of birth. I was like, oh, God, more things to fill out. Uh, yes, fine, 12 for the first, and click go. And I was like, oh, shit, I put 2020. <laughs> so I was born <laughs> a couple of days before. <laughs> and then it just shut the whole thing down. And it went, basically, oh, no. we're clamping down on people underage using TikTok. So your your uh, site is... <laughs> you're, you're, four uh, years, you're four days old. <laughs> I'm four days old. And they thought, he's too young for this. <laughs> he needs to be, like feeding I don't know what babies do that's what they do they feed yeah um yeah so so yeah so that so that, yeah it said it's it's gonna be it was taken off for 30 days and that after 30 days it'll be deleted permanently it's very it's very harsh wow yeah and then so I just I sent some emails you know I've got connections yeah. 
and uh, contacted Twitter, TikTok, and they mm-hmm. said they're American based, so get in touch with <laughs> the European leg of TikTok. And yeah. it's it basically, I got an email today, and it's all a okay. Great! What a I'm relief back online. Good as gold, Joe. <laughs> that Happy was a bit, a bit of drama. That's the most drama I've had for a while. Quite exciting, though. Mm, mm. Mm. Good to be back. Good to be back on TikTok. Mm. Absolutely. Going to go on TikTok Always live nice, straight yeah. after this. Are you? No, I wasn't planning on it. I might. Oh. I could do it at some point. I don't know. I feel a bit tired today, Joel. Yeah. It's just difficult, isn't it, sometimes? One of those days. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's nice to see you. You too, mate. So, so what, what, what who have we got this week, Joel? We've got Mr. Martin Moore. Martin Moore? More, more, more. Is that a song? How do you like him? Yeah, of course it's a song. More, more, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, I, I know that now. No, not yet. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that now you've you said the rest of the words, but you hadn't sold it as a song, so I couldn't pick up what song it was. I'm sorry, mate. You should have went, more, more, more. Yeah, I should have done And then well, I've got it. I, Hey, well, listen up, Mark. You wait, you wait for the outro. Oh, I can't wait. Let's, we're going to do it in a minute as well. Yeah. But, but, oh. this, but everyone listening has got to sit through a bloody interview with Martin uh, Moore before that. they get that gold. <laughs> uh, here's Martin Moore. Enjoy it. So with stuff like... So do you find that happens often with a bit that the audience don't just don't understand the reference because that can be that's what i find that really annoying because you could have a perfectly good joke or bit that that if they don't get what you're talking about the topic that it just doesn't work okay so i so now i kind of have a, i have a thing where often at gigs because i'm trying now to present things from a different viewpoint so that gives me the freedom to explain the thing if they don't get it so if I, right, okay. So now I know if they don't get it. So if I was talking about, I don't know, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. But if I was talking about something that we would do in Ireland, but I know you don't mm. in England, well, I'll just tell you that we do that in Ireland. And because of the style of show I do, people people like that. Like mine mm. thing is very much showing people into another world is very yeah. much what I'm trying to do. So yeah, because with me, with one-liners. By the time I've explained that what they need to know, it's way too long for the payoff. Yeah. Whereas, whereas if you're taking them on a journey, they'll be on board and they're learning. Yeah, and and it, but it does the payoff does have to be if you've got. So I'm going to say for me, it, it, it's different from person to person. But for me, if there were like in a five minute bet, if there were three of these little explaining bets, even if they're really brief explanations. Mm. That needs to have a really big payoff to make it worthwhile. Yeah. It needs to ha- it needs to be really justified. If there's just a little one, and I go so so I say something. Oh no, you don't say that. You say such and such. That mm. could really work. It's like adds texture to it, doesn't it? Yeah. So so would you find that it, if uh, if the payoff wasn't quite big enough, have you got, would you say like for a club you go that's definitely not big enough. But with an Edinburgh show because it's spread out and you don't always have to have those big hits would you sort of could you put a bit like that in an edinburgh show but you wouldn't put it in well so it it does vary so sometimes i've done as a challenge a couple of times i tried to do edinburgh shows at club pace and um it right it's funny and it works but it exhausts the audience Mm. Club pace. so what i've done the last maybe the last oh maybe the last five or six edinburgh's is most of the editing is taking jokes out and trying to make it more interesting. So trying to, to whereas with clubs, you're trying to get more jokes in. Oh, wow. I'm trying to edit jokes out so that there's, so it's more interesting. The goal is to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've asked completely different to anything I do. Because for me, it, it can only be jokes. It, it, I can't really make it interesting. In I, that sense. You do that thing. You do something that I very much like that. We, we haven't worked together very many times. But mm. when I saw your, I, I follow you on Instagram and I've looked at those videos that you have up where there's an audience interaction. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that thing that you do that I observed, we did New Year one year, didn't we, together? In oh, 2020, yeah. Uh, what was that this year? <laughs> yeah, it was. That seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? Oh, man, doesn't it? We, we, we had so much hope that night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that thing that you do, 
where you have that interaction with the audience. And then mm. sometimes you're improvising, improvising and then sometimes you've got a bit of material that looks like you're improvising, but it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. So th th see those... Yeah, that, that's what I do. To, yeah, you're right. That's what I do to stop it being just gag, 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 gag. Mm. I, I, and that's my favourite bit oh, because that, yeah. that keeps me on my toes. Yeah, th those bits, but you know those moments, those little moments, they're the bits I value the most in a sense. Mm. They're, they're the bits I value the most. And they're also the bits that are that um, disappear so easy. Like nobody really remembers. They make the show. They make the show yeah, yeah. different. They elevate the show. But mm. nobody remembers those bits. They, they, they drift away. <laughs> Here's an interesting thing. Sometimes I think we don't remember those bits either because we're so in that moment. Mm. Um, a, a few years ago, oh, quite a few years ago, I did the, um, the Cape Town Comedy Festival. And I'd been given a, a camera by a TV company in, in Northern Ireland to make a some pilot, an in-house pilot. They wanted to do a travel show with me. I was going oh, yeah, to cool. this for a little pilot. And my mate Carl was there, and Carl Cooper is. Uh, do you know Carl Cooper? He's a BBC. Uh, I think so. Sir, he, he makes a Mark Steele show, and he, he's great. Oh, cool stuff. He like it. He's like a comedy genius. This guy. And anyway, yeah. so Carl was there, uh, and. Um, we were after the event. We were after the festival. We were going to go on holiday together, and we we're going to make this thing. So mm. to, to get to learn how to use the camera they'd given us, like they were big clunky video cameras then, and to use the video camera, he just filmed my bit of the show every night. We we're there for three weeks, twelve minutes a night, thousand people in a theatre doing the show. And as I say, I tried to do five to ten percent improvised, or at least you know improvised within material. And mm. they um. At one point, about two weeks, and he said, you've got to watch this. And I don't like watching myself on video. He said, you've got to watch this. And he played me back some clips that he had edited of the video that were really fun, improvised bits, audience interaction. I had no memory of doing it. And I'm clearly doing <laughs> laughing my head off. I'm clearly having a brilliant time. And yeah. no memory of any of them. Isn't that weird? Wow. And they're the best bits for them to use for something like that because, yeah. because you're not burning anything. Ah, yeah, you're not burning any material. I wish uh, now, in, in yeah. so Tom Steed, the Canadian comedian, mm. Tom and I have talked a lot about Joe. It's, it's surprising. That, um, I'm surprised that not, not more comedians talk like this together, like in dressing rooms and stuff. Yeah, I but, love it. But some comedians don't like talking about jokes for some as, reason. As if it's cheating, as if thinking about it is yeah. cheating or something. And, yeah, but if you watch any documentary of like uh, American stand-ups, all the big names... Whenever I see backstage stuff, I love it because they're all talking about bits. I love that bit you do with that. Oh, I was thinking I could do this with it. Mm. And that, it seems like more of that culture there, whereas here it seems like that you, you can't discuss your secrets. Or... It's almost like it seems that you're supposed to just get up and be funny. And yeah, not yeah. But, but I love the culture of it. That's the fun bit, I yeah. think, the, the when process. I, when I came from, so I'd, I'd been a professional circus act for over 10 years when I, before I ever did any stand-up. And in circus, it was very like that, that the young act, so when I was a young act and I worked with like an older juggler, I would pester them. I would say, how did you do that? I'd, I'd bring them a cup of coffee and say, there's a cup of coffee for you. How did you, and sweet talk yeah, yeah. to let me know things. And mm. it, even when you do a night, and there's like, not necessarily even like like me or you, but when there's like sometimes there's stand-ups on that are a, such a great stand-up and mm. walk into the open spot and they say to you, oh, yeah, you know, such and such. They're, they're my idol. I really love them. They're great. And you go, ask them a question. And they're going, no, you ask them about something. Ask me about something. Yeah. But they yeah. Just, oh, yeah. Everyone's too polite. Yeah. Weird, isn't that? I, I think it came, you know, that thing that... um. So there's a bit of a culture even about this still. So I did a Zoom uh, recently. And so I'm sitting here in this little room and we do the sound check and everything. And then I said to the others, uh, so it's starting in like 10 minutes. And I said, um, uh, Zoom gate. And I said, oh, just excuse me, I'm just going to go and get changed. And everybody else was taking the piss out of me going, what are you getting changed? I was going to get changed into my show clothes. You're in your hat. And I was going, yeah, but I'm doing a show. And I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, weird. I don't know. Different strokes on that. Different strokes. Yeah, that's that's how you get into your mindset. That's how you, you know, it's not just about what you look like either, because yeah. you feel like All right, I'm ready for the show now. So because some people do that with some people 
bring a different shirt, but it's almost identical to what they're wearing, but they still go and put it on That's in a live show. I think yeah. it was, as a circus act, we always had costumes. And, and at one point, uh, yeah. one point when I was quite new, I had a kind of Vegasy uh, two music Shazam kind of juggling act. And that act I wore a smart black trousers and a white tuxedo. I didn't have a beard, I had a red bow tie. And then I had an, a comedy juggling routine. And for that, I wore green trousers, a white shirt, and a waistcoat. <laughs> and I remember at one point I was booked to do the comedy. I booked through an agent to do the comedy mm. routine. And when I turned up there, I thought I was going to do the Vegas one, the white tuxedo one. And I hey. turned up with the, the wrong costume. And they said, I uh, know, oh, no, we're looking for the comedy routine. We're looking forward to the comedy routine. And when I had to do my comedy routine in the wrong jacket, <laughs> they didn't know. They only said it, but to me, it felt so weird. It felt like I was holding the mic with the wrong hand or something. It just felt yeah. weird. That's funny. I liked, when I do a, a normal gig, I always like to wear some sort of jacket. Hmm. But when I do new material, I don't like what do, using a jacket. I like there to be, I like a different feel. I like the new material to just be t-shirt or relaxed mm. hoodie. I, I don't know why that is. I think maybe it's, I want more of a, that kind of, I don't care as much vibe with the new material. So it looks like you're not trying too hard. So at the new material ones, I probably still change into my, I don't do a lot of new material nights, to be honest, but because I, because in normal life, I'm a resident compare at the stand and I've got uh, like an, ex, an ex, this bit at the start, I can try stuff in the comparing. I always do material yeah. when I'm comparing. I never just do crowd work. So I, mm. I have opportunities to do that anyway. But if I do a new material, I always, um, I always take on the notes and I never, yeah. I never read from them, but I always have it in my hand. E even if it was, you know, like I was nearly ready to go with them and I don't need to look at it. I take it on. I think it's a good, I think it's a good practice to, to do that. I think so. And also they, they give you a little bit of leeway, I think, if you have, because if you don't have notes and you're just doing it like a proper set and if a bit doesn't work, they could lose total confidence in you for all the next bits and then you're, you're not being judged properly on the next bits because they've lost confidence. Whereas if you've got notes, they know each joke's an individual new idea. Mm. And they might like that. I think people like to see mm. the work in progress. But what's your thoughts on this? So I'm very, very against. So I, I'm against when you see people that are using the comedy circuit as a step towards the TV. And that's all they see it as. And like they're going, I want mm. to get off the circuit. And, and within that, I really dislike it when you do like one of the, the big weekend clubs and mm. one of the acts comes on a pro act with notes. I, I don't like that at the weekend. Not not if the audience has paid proper money to yeah. to see a show. It's all, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. For me, it's all about the live clubs and yeah, that, yeah. It's kind of a little bit. It, to be honest, if someone comes on with notes like that and they do well with these new jokes, when the next act comes on, that who's not using notes and doing good jokes, mm. that seems less impressive mm. because instantly the audience is like. Well, you know, this guy's practiced these. The last person hadn't even. Yeah, you know, there were new ideas. And, I think the weekend yeah. just be spent. Then people got a babysitter and a taxi and mm. put on their nice clothes, and it should be a bit special on the weekend. I think. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like I, I always do new stuff at new at nights or new material nights and take my notes on. But yeah, I don't. I mean, you. Got, I mean, I suppose if you're Lee Evans. I suppose that you get to a certain level where that's okay. So I did but... those, I did Pur's worth with Lee where um, it was at the Glee clubs and mm. at the start when he's getting ready for a big tour. So it's him and Stuart, his writer's called Stuart and him mm. and Stuart turn up and uh, it would be, I was always the host and there would be a first act and then Lee would go in the middle and then there would mm. be a, a closing act afterwards. And then, uh, on sometimes when we got further into it, there was just be um, Lee and then a closer because he got more stuff. As he got more, as he got more stuff, and like he was mm. always, he's always nervous, but he was always mm. really well prepared, and he took on tons of notes and ripped through the notes like he really like I took on. Top. Yeah, and do you know what? It and was brilliant, and he would be doing the weekends. That would be the weekends at the, at the Glee Club, but. Yeah. You know, that guy could have been set. He could have done that at Wembley. 
you know, he's so yeah, popular. Yeah. I think it's a different thing. I think he's so popular. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you get a lot of a lot of big acts. They're, they're doing their new, trying new stuff out in 2,000 seaters. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. It's madness, isn't it? It's funny, but isn't it? <laughs> the thing. When, when, I was, um, when I was quite new as a, as a circus act, when I was relatively new as a circus act, I got told by an older act that the little gigs were, don't do the little gigs like you're going to do when you're in the big gigs and that the little gigs weren't practice for the big gigs, which of, of course they're not. So just like the angle of your face for in a big time, right. just where you're yeah. and stuff like that. And then when I started doing stand up, somebody said to me exactly that. Somebody said to me, uh, like an older act said to me, um, oh yeah, you know, all these little gigs that happen up in the back of a pub is it would be like the 1990s mm. in Manchester, a little gig in the back of a pub when they're great but they're not really practiced for the big gigs. And I think that's true, you know. I think that's why you get so many acts that always want to do the Birmingham Glee Club because the Birmingham mm. Glee stage is like the live at the Apollo stage. It is that big stage thing, but in a club mm. setting. Um, so I'm not surprised at those. I, I, I've said this for a while. I reckon there are some big acts that some big acts come back to the clubs and are fantastic, aren't they? Just come and do the club mm. and you know, um, maybe try new material or whatever, or just come for a laugh. But there are some acts I think couldn't come back to the little rooms anymore once they've gone beyond that. Yeah, so they just wouldn't be be used to it. It'd be a complete game check, like gear change back yeah, down. and just size of the laughs and because you do get some. So on the open mic, so I I moved out away from I. So when I was new, I'd be in London quite a lot trying stuff out, and then once I started like playing the bigger clubs i hardly ever went into london to do those open mic gigs to try stuff because i just if i because when i was living in kent i'll just find somewhere near kent but when i went back to, when i've been living in london and going to these nights you've got quite a few so there's quite a few new acts that are, that really smash those little rooms but they they wouldn't be able to play the big rooms because they've kind of worked out how to be good in that small space mm. But when going into a bigger room, I don't think it'd be have the opposite effect. Like because because those those London gigs are so crappy. You, you, there's a what you can you can work out a way to play them, which is almost so. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. There's sort of there's almost like in jokes within the the small room setting, mm. trying to be be a bit wacky. But if you went into a normal sort of club gig, because if where you people young- just want. A few of my clients for the online stuff are doing uh, uh, what they call those things, gong shows. Yes. I'm going, look, this is great because, so I I really think, um, uh, it's changing the subject slightly, I really think having a a two-minute is really useful. People often say, Mm. how how do you know what 20 minutes feels like? And I go, you don't need to, you just need to know what two minutes feels like because they'll show you a light at 20 minutes. Um, Mm. So I've been saying to them, do the gong show right especially for the gong show and feel what the timings are like of a gong show but don't look at that as it's like a gig because it's that's so mm. weird what a weird yeah or, I, like, I never did them no i never did they didn't really have them when i was at that point but i, go, yeah, I went i went that. to watch the, the comedy store one once when i was really new and i just knew at the time i wasn't that sort of act i, I just knew it wouldn't work so what's the point yeah, so my, my thing is, I've always been a bit like this in that, you know, anything that was like very competitive. So I'll be honest, I did used to like when I, so I used to do jonglers and I used mm. to have jonglers and we'd do the Christmas shows. And like now, this time of the year, we'd be like at least two or three weeks into Christmas shows. We would have started in the middle of It was a big run and they were really gladiatorial gigs. And I really liked that for like once a year, one month mm. a year. I like that. But those things where you're sort of competing with the other acts, like I I really don't like that because it's not meant to be competitive. Like for me, the ideal world is everybody goes on and has a brilliant gig and everybody raises the bar for the act after them. And if I'm, mm. I'm closing the show, the acts before me have done so well, it, it makes me go, shit, I've got a really, it makes me panic. Yeah. I've got the adrenaline going. And that's what you kind of want, doesn't it? That's because you're a good compare. You've got that attitude. Yeah, you want that everybody. Because you want everyone to do well. That's 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 a sign of a good compare. But also, I think we all should be like, that's professional yeah. as well, isn't it? Because cause we, cause surely we should want 
the people paying money to have a, such a good night, they want to keep coming back and then we all get paid and the industry is great. So that's, that's what I think happened to some of the, the, the gigs that have gone on there that weren't so good. Mm was they'd have some acts that weren't up to it or didn't try, whatever, did badly, maybe just did badly because that happens to us sometimes. Now, if, say, 10 people in a 300-seater, 10 people dislike it and they tell their friends on social media, well, that's probably a 1,000 people straight mm. up heard, heard it was bad. And if that yeah, keeps yeah. on happening, that's a lot of people, isn't it, over a, a period? Yeah, of- yeah, I hadn't thought of that. It's yeah. bad. It's funny so, with stand-up. We are moving into, I think we were just moving into like being a more professional thing. So it was like a kind of a bit punk rock, wasn't it? It was a bit like in the back of a mm. pub, people just trying and no rules. And then we got rules yeah. and things sort of formulated and people became like Edinburgh became like a trade fair for some people. And again, free festival came. Oh, we got punk rock again. And it was all this thing. And yeah. now we've got the, you know, uh, equity have got a medians branch and we've got the, live comedy association and starting to get organized and i think it's good i think it's become a professional it's a professional mm. suit now isn't it yeah yeah so it's always sort of up and down isn't it in and out and there's different there's different sides of the depend there's different sorts of circuits as well i think mm. so you know acts that are better suited for that punk sort of thing there are gigs for that and then there's your more sort of professional yeah, and some of it, so, so. Some of it intertwines. Some of it totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like for me, so th- this has happened to me twice. This happened with circus. I was right there. So it was the, it was the early to mid eighties, and it was the non-animal circus, and then that okay. grew into Cirque du Soleil. That that grew uh, yeah. out of that into Cirque du Soleil, and I think now that's what's happened. But there's still all these offshoots of all the, the other stuff, mm. and I think that's what's happened with comedy. Like a lot of a lot of it's mainstream, the new the new mainstream. And then there's yeah. all these little punk rock things coming up. I, I think it's great, man. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. And if you could play everything, that's even better. Yeah. So I I for me, I think there's nothing better than the clubs. I think there's nothing better mm. than a good club gig. And I, I really don't like when people don't respect the clubs because I think mm. I, I feel that's the peak. That's the bread and butter, isn't it? That's the yeah, and it's no. best, and it's why people like you know I mentioned like Frankie Boyle, John Bishop, Sarah Mullican, they all yeah. come and do the clubs. They could play yeah. in any. The of- clubs are stand-up comedy. If you that is where stand-up comedy, that's the home of stand-up comedy. I reckon I between, between like 200, 200 people, and maybe maybe the Birmingham Glee at four fifty or whatever that is. That's a particularly small mm. room, I think. But two hundred to maybe three hundred. That's like a proper optimum size because we can see them and they can we can see all of them and they can see us and when it gets in them big rooms like I often say it once it's over a thousand it could be ten thousand and it wouldn't make any difference it's just so it's a different thing altogether isn't it watching you on the who watching Michael McIntyre on a big screen or Peter Kay on a, yeah like, I don't know yeah weird one but yeah yeah. So, so joke-wise, routines and things. Hmm. Have you got any over the years that that have just it's kind of bothered you because you really like the idea but could never quite manage to get it to work? Yeah, generally, generally, it's because I've moved on too quickly, and I had a, had a valuable lesson in this at one point oh. years ago. So, do you know Kevin Gilday? Kevin Gilby's a very, very interesting Irish comedian, a really good comedian. Okay. And he was on with me at the at, at a gig. He did this story about um, uh, a guy going into the lion's den. And he had like a whole 10 minutes about this guy that climbed into the zoo, into the lion's den. And really good. And I said to him, what? did you not used to do that as like a one-liner short joke? And he said, yeah, I did. And it never worked. And I didn't realize, I put it away because I thought I'm not good enough yet to do that joke. And then I revisited that. And I thought, God, I've, I never revisited stuff. Mm. Now I do do that. Now I go through. I, I did throw a load of notebooks away at one point. So I did an Edinburgh show with uh, 10 years worth of notebooks, which was a pile of notebooks. And I'd let oh, the Christ. audience pick one. I had a game that I played with the audience. And if they won, oh, that's fun. They picked the notebook and they opened the notebook. And whatever was that, I told them that bit of material. And now, oh, I like that. That's nice. Yeah, it was fun. It was a fun thing to do. Do you know what was interesting? It was exhausting. 
it was really <laughs> exhausting because you didn't you genuine when genuinely not know yeah. what, what the material was coming was different <laughs> they'd just give you a subject or something did they kind of have, did you have fun with that fact that you don't know what it is so yeah, like, yeah. And, and, and they i'm sure they're probably more forgiving as well because it's got this anarchic kind of feel to exactly it. What it is. And at the end of the show, I did a stage dive. It was completely <laughs> that, was that was the whole plan. And um, the thing that was, the thing that I noticed there, which I, I don't, I don't do anymore. And that was, it was a good bit of the learning curve. This bit was so many of those notebooks had titles that sound in, sounded interesting titles. And, but I had no idea what I meant by it. So in that show, <laughs> I would improvise the story. It was almost like I was doing set list or something. It was all like, oh, right, yeah. Some of them I knew the material <laughs> straight away because it'd been my club set. But a mm. lot of that would just be an interesting title. And I think, oh, that sounds interesting. Why didn't I write? Why wasn't that a joke? So now I've, I've got to a point where if I write something down, I, I put some effort into it. I try to, try to get it finished rather than just let it drift away to something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did that. I've started doing that a lot more now is going through old ideas. Cause I, I, I think if there's a funny idea, there's a way of making it work. Yeah. Have you got any examples of old bits that you've oh, sort of, so I, you've had? I picked up, a, a, do you know, they tend to not be, um, they tend to not be written out enough. So I picked up this thing, I picked up, <laughs> a I picked up an old notebook. Do you know, there's a joke in here that I've written into several shows and it, it's, it's not even a joke. It's a true story. And right. about my, my mate, one of my mates that bought a Porsche. And I found it in this in this notebook. And it's never been done on stage. But I've written it down so many oh, really? times. Really? And it's never... I wonder why... Is that because deep down you haven't got the confidence in it? I don't know, because it's the kind of thing that I... It's the kind of thing that would suit me. So I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Yeah. It's, so in, in brief, when I was much younger, a friend of mine bought put all his money into buying a Porsche. He put all his money into buying a second-hand Porsche and he was doing that, paying it up every month. And it mm. meant all his money went on it. He paid his rent, he got his food and he got his Porsche and that was that. And he'd never go for a night out. And he said, he said it, was, it was, he was called Nigel. And he said it was great because just having those keys with Porsche on them, you just put them on a bar and women think you're fantastic. And uh, I was going, yeah, okay, mate, that's about silly. And then, he told me a story that he'd gone out in Belfast, he'd gone to a posh bar in Belfast, and he put the keys on the bar and a really attractive woman had come up and started flirting with him, chatting up. She said, look, shall we, shall we just cut to the chase? Um, I think we should go back to my place. And he's gone, yes, the Porsche has worked. She told him where he <laughs> lived, where she lived, and he didn't have money enough for petrol to get there. <laughs> so that's quite, I think it's a perfectly nice little story. Yeah, that's a good idea. But I, because I, when I, when you were saying it, I was I was trying to think where you were going to go with it, and because my instant thought was like he wouldn't be able to he wouldn't be able to go out with her. Yeah, because he would because he wouldn't be able to afford a meal or anything like that. You know those, that's great. You know those jokes like that. So I like things like that. And that there, there's a thing of of you know when you tell a story and then the punchline part of it is completely unexpected. They they didn't expect mm. it at all, and that's where the laughter is. You know, when there's a story like this, I've got a couple of stories like this, that they sort of know where you're going because you, you've you made a human contact with them and they yeah. understand where you're going. And then they're they're laughing because of the familiarity of it. Um, mm. I, I like those jokes as well. But also you can get the surprise from the angle you go for because I didn't see you going for petrol. Mm. So you going for petrol made me laugh because that wasn't what I was thinking in my head. Mm. So that's nice. With that, so so you do is a lot. A lot of your stuff comes from true stories. Would you ever change it to say because that that would quite easily work as you? Mm. So if you were the Porsche guy, yeah. So like, I only I only change it. I would only change it to me. So generally, I'm really very much doing it from true stories, mm. and I would only change it to me if I had something that was really good, but that needed the person to be a dickhead and I was making me be the dickhead. I, I yeah, okay. want to make the other person. So that's quite funny. So, so rather than sort of punching down at that person. So I want that story. Like, as I say, so I've told you it there in a kind of off the top of my head form. That's exactly I, what happened. Yeah. I would want that story to be that I still 
it's kind of I like them, and this is funny because this Egypt did this. Yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. Egypt rather than a dickhead is what I would be going for. But but that okay, yeah. Thing, this is this is one of my this is one of my the thing that's happened to me is, um, I ran I ran out of stories. So because I yeah, of course, all true stories, and so the last few years, I've had to force the stories to happen. I've had to put myself in situations to to make a story happen. So, for example, wow. this year's Edinburgh was called At the Edge, and the idea was that I was going to do the Perth and Western Australia Festival, Fringe World. I'd do the Adelaide Fringe. I had some other work on an Aboriginal community, and then I was going to go back to Adelaide, and I was going to ride my bike across the Great Australian bike, my push bike. I was going to cycle across Australia, and I'd allowed two weeks to do it, which is um, you know long enough, and I was mm. going to camp, and I was going to write the show from what experiences happened and who I met and there's truck stops and stuff. And then that, that got derailed by the bushfires. Do you remember they had bushfires? Oh yeah. Start. And then, so then I wrote some stuff about bushfires and about how I was going to do this. And then, and then when I did do Perth, me and my friend Logie that I do a, a double act, an Irish guy called Logie Logan, we do a circus act together uh, called Dirty Tattooed Circus Bastards. And we, um, <laughs> we drove that road. And, and it was fine. So then I mm. scheduled that I was going to do it again. So now I'm going to finish Adelaide. I'm going to go and do the work. I'm going to fly back to Perth and I'm going to ride it the other way and end up in Adelaide. Rescheduled that and got closed down by COVID. So I then came back. So I wrote that. So I wrote something <laughs> about that. I then came back to the UK and I thought, this is no bother at all. This will be fine. I'll do Land's End to John O'Groats. I invited a couple of other comedians I know that cycle. We were going to do Land's mm. John O'Groats. We were going to do the National Three Peaks. I started writing about that, and then lockdown happened. So that Edinburgh show was yeah. two-thirds written about things that I was going to do that I couldn't do because of these things. I mean, that's all of a sudden, you got structure out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. It just did it on its, on its own. And then, of course nothing happened because then you could go into you can so will you still use that for the for the next one like as an idea i i don't hang on to them i i really don't really some years some years i've written a a show for the glasgow comedy festival and had it ready so that's march and i would do the Mm. glasgow comedy festival and that was the start of that that would be the that year's edinburgh show and i've written a new show i've done that show and it's gone well and um, then I've just written another show because I felt it was done and moved. I, I like oh, keeping really? moving on. I like keeping moving on. So with Edinburgh, sometimes in Edinburgh, I've chucked half a show away halfway through the festival and, and done a different end. Why? Because you're bored or because you're just not happy with it? I'm not bored. But when I feel that I'm not, when I feel like it. So I, I tell you exactly this. A friend of mine said to me a couple of years ago, uh, what had happened was I'd done a lot of overseas gigs and overseas gigs, there's a certain flavor to the performance that I would do in that I'm an Irishman in Canada. I'm an Irishman mm. on tour in Australia and this thing. And so there's a certain flavor to that. And so in the club sets I was doing there, I was doing the, the same set every time. So I came back and was on in the UK circuit with a really solid set. And one of my friends said to me, oh, you've got a really bulletproof set. And I thought, oh, no, that means it's dead. And, and it's exactly that. It, it almost feels like as soon as it's ready, as soon as it's working, well, that's it starting to die then. And so you need to start thinking about the, the next bat. Right. That almost feels like a shame, doesn't it? You've, got, you've worked hard to get this bit sort of finished. And then, yeah. but that's, I mean, that's, it's, it's every because uh, you know I mean uh, there's a lot of acts that are complete opposite and, oh, and they get their twenty minutes and they they won't ever change that. So I think you, you know when you see people do that, Mark, you you see people that do that where they they got their first fully pro twenty written and it's great and they got a proper great twenty and then they do it forever and mm. you go what happened to that thing that wrote that twenty? So yeah. So for me, I think it's it's less of the it's less of the thing the set and it's mm. more of the making the set so adam bloom said you know adam right mm. adam bloom a fantastic joke writer i think and and very astute about comedy adam said a really great thing to me we, we were sitting in that we've done a gig together hadn't seen each other for ages 
And by chance on the way home, we'd stopped at the same petrol station and we stood and we were talking to each other at the petrol station. And I'd said something that I was, I'd done in the show. And I said, oh, that, I've got that joke that I did. I hadn't really worked. And I was going, it's nearly working, but it's not quite working. And Adam said, oh, that's the best bet. And I thought that is kind of the best bet because it's like hope and possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that moment it does work, the feeling. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Just, yeah. That's interesting because, yes, yeah, because so, with me, I, I I always do a different Edinburgh show every year. And then I, I then my, my club set just evolves. So I'll just stick in the bits I want from that show just to add to it. So as long as I'm constantly evolving the club set, I'm happy. I couldn't just do the same. I still do some jokes that I did ages ago mm. and they come in and out of my set. Mm. But I like that I've got parts of my club set that I look forward to, mm. which are the new bits. And that keeps me motivated. And that's why I do Edinburgh every year yeah. because it, it just makes that set better. Because for me, it's like we were saying earlier, the, the club set is the most important thing for me. So I use... I use Edinburgh to get my, a better club set. That tends to be my motivation usually, because because I'm not an I'm not an Edinburgh act. In I've got this story of this adventure, like acts like yourself, where you've got a whole set thing there, and that's something to be proud of. My my stuff's all it's all one liners. So <laughs> so I do that new show just so that I can keep getting that set as strong as possible. So it's interesting and, with that. So how long how long did you if you had a joke if you had an idea for a joke. Like, like mm. I'm saying there, you go, oh, it's nearly nearly ready. It's getting some laughs, but I think it's better. How long How long would you work on that for? I mean, that could be years. Mm. It just depends. It won't be constant. Mm. But but if it if it doesn't hit well, I won't keep it in. And, and I can't, and I haven't worked out how to improve it in that short space of time. I'll put that in a notepad and come back to it at another time. And it is amazing how many like, like literally today i was i was doing the podcast with um josh Pugh earlier and there's a joke i've been working on for ages and he just said something i was like oh my god why have why did i not that's so clear yeah so so obvious it was it was so the joke was um the joke i'd written was uh my nan uh my nan was against me cage fighting, but in the end, I beat her. And it never quite hit. And I, I said to him, I think it's because it's not very, essentially, it's not really what the joke's about, but at the end of it, it's violence on an old woman, mm. essentially. And he just said, why don't she beat you? And I went, of course she beats me. Yeah. But of course that's funnier. Yeah. Because she's an old lady yeah. and, she, and it's self-deprecating. But now I've been coming back and forward for about... That is for the new show, that joke. But I've really, I've really, I, I know it's a good joke. Mm. So I have kept coming back to it, trying to, yeah. and then sometimes it works really well and it does the next time and then the next two times it doesn't. Yeah. And for me, that's not consistent enough, like for me. So, but now I'm excited again because I get to, to work on that. Yeah. Because so it's, it's, it's different, isn't it, but with, with short jokes because, um, um, Stuart Francis uh, and I were sitting talking about uh, about jokes and, and I'd said to him that I normally would give a joke like three outings on, on right. nights and, and if I wasn't really loving it, I'd probably just move on. And he mm. said he'd give something a year. He'll have something yeah. for you. But, but it is different, isn't it? Because quite often in the way I do things, the, the laughs are, are going along where mm. yours has to laugh, start again, laugh, yeah. start again. Yeah. Yeah. So it has to be a certain hit. Otherwise, there's, it's nothing and it's noticeable. Whereas if you're sort of keeping them up and up and up, mm. it doesn't really matter if a little bit dips a bit because you're straight, you're flowing, aren't you? Yeah. So I get that. I, I, this is one of the things I do in my tutorials. I say to people to look at the, imagine the audio spikes. And so mm. in your style, the audio spikes and then drops right down and then start yeah. again. Whereas like reset. For, my, for my style, the storytelling style, I can come in halfway through and get another little laugh and I can get a succession of little laughs on mm. the energy of the first laugh. So they might not work. They might not get a big laugh on their own, but when you coast them off a bigger laugh, they, they get yeah, yeah. they would on their, they're, they're more than the sum of their parts then. Uh, so if you gig with Stuart Francis a lot, 
not, when not he was... for years, man. Not for years and years. We used to see each other a lot. I did get in contact with him because I, I you know, I'd love to have him on, but he, he's retired now. Yeah. He's in France or somewhere, is he? But, I don't, the detail that Stuart used to look at stuff. So I look at stuff in great detail because of my... So I look at a lot of movement-based stuff, as I know Tom State does as well. When Tom started doing mm. TV stuff, he used to always say to me about recording things, and then he would say that he'd video it uh, and so that he could see his movements. I'm very into the idea of movements and how we physically on stage. And Stuart Francis and I, when we were talking this one particular occasion, you know, he's got that bit of chipmunk material and he was very specific about how he holds his hands. Right. And I think this, so I think for you guys, so there needs to be something that breaks the pattern and be something like when Gary Delaney brings out his letter and it's yes. a physical thing. When when you speak to the audience and introduce mm. live interaction thing, uh, Stuart, when he introduces the other character, so it's no longer just him talking. Uh, yeah. Well, Stephen Wright in the famous old Stephen Wright joke uh, routine. You know Stephen Wright, the American yeah, yeah. one-liners, brilliant one-liners. He would do like a standard joke for about 40 minutes into an hour. He'd have an actual gag, an actual, uh, I was on the bus the other day and this guy came on and, you do an actual, right. and it's because there's a point, isn't there, where that da, 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 mm. joke, 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 joke's too much. Yeah, yeah. So everyone sort of yes, everyone has their own way to reset the audience. That's yeah. how I see it. You're resetting them back to when they started. So when you do your thing, this is me thinking back to when I saw you um, and really enjoyed seeing you that New Year ten years mm. ago, which was only a year ago. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> when you do your, um, when you go into the audience. And did you say something like, tell, what are you interested in? And then you did a joke. Yeah. Yeah. So I tend to, I'll, yeah, I'll say, I'll, I'll, and I'll set it up. So um, I'll tell them, I'll ask you a question and then I'll do a joke about it. So I tell them I'm going to do a joke about it. So what that does is that allows me to fail because if they say something after I've set it up like that and then I can't think of anything, I can I can go, uh, just do that, mm. and that will get a laugh. Yeah, because I've I've set myself up to to fail. Yeah. Whereas if if I just chatted to them, and said what what's your hobby, and they said ho- hockey, and I I went oh, mm. that wouldn't get anything. They would just think I'm rubbish. But so sometimes so I set I set it up like that just so there's an out just in case I can't think of anything. Yeah. And then with with and then with the jokes, like you said earlier, it's either there's a joke from the arsenal that I put out, or I'll improvise a joke mm. in the moment, depending on what it is. Because I do it. So I, in an ideal world, in a in a, a a perfect setup of a of a club set, I I say to them, pick a country, and I'll tell you a story about it. And they say a country, and I nearly I either can genuinely oh. tell a story about it. Or I've got a story that's really closely related. So if somebody mm. says Bolivia, I've got a joke about Peru. If somebody said right, okay. Portugal, I've probably got a joke about Spain. So they're really yeah. closely related. Uh, but w- w- with your thing, when do you when you improvise? So occasionally I'll improvise something w- within that. Mm. Mostly it's material, but occasionally I will improvise something. Do you improvise off the the word of their job? or the way that they say the sentence to you or, or whatever they say. So if you've said, what sport do you like? Do you improvise off their reply or do you improvise off the hockey? Um, so my initial thing is the actual sport because then I can just go into my bank and go, I'll take that one and then do that one. Hmm. But then if, but then if they say it in a, a funny way or, or use a weird language, or it's a sport that I'm not used to, or I can think of some wordplay, like as a as a way to respond to them. If there's wordplay in that, so for example, can I think of an example? Like for example, if they worked in IT, what I, I improvised once this and it worked, so I do it every time it happens. If they say well, they work in IT, I stick my fist out and I go word so i get them to 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 do the fist bump yeah 
and I say word. So that, I like those because that's not a joke, but that is an improvised response that I could say to that answer. Yeah. But it also matches what they said. Yeah, nice. So they're my favourite ones because they're the ones I genuinely improvise in the moment. Yeah. And they're extra texture to it. They're, they're an additional texture to the, mm. the, the layers of the show. I, I do a thing where I, um, if I say to them, uh, pick, a, pick a country and they say somewhere that isn't immediately, uh, quite often I'm fighting against the urge just to splurge straight into a story. So if right, yeah. country that they that I've obviously got a story that I know I've got a story about and it's a strong story, I'm I'm often fighting the urge to do that to try and make something else happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll often say if they said Peru, I'll go, oh, Peru is is there a reason you've chosen Peru? And I'm trying to improvise off. Okay. Knowing I've got Peru, knowing I've got yeah. If you if you've got that in the bank, that's yeah exactly. If I know I've got a, a solid gag in the bank, you, you I I would happily try and ring something out. Yeah, that that's a thing. Yeah. I think that came to me, that came to me through experience. I don't think I ever consciously. I think I consciously mm. didn't want to do the stories all the time. The obvious, not the obvious countries, but the popular countries that would come up all the time. And mm. I think it was a way to try and get more to happen than that. But it was never a conscious, here's a joke. Because if you if you get something else out of them that you've got something on, all of a sudden you, you've got an entire, your whole set could be about that because you could lead in one into the other mm. and always come back to Peru's story, at, mm. you know, mm. at the well, end. Taking these opportunities, I think this is the why we like live comedy, isn't it? When the, mm. like, I don't... Um, you know, I don't judge things against each other, but those acts that do the same set every time and they're fantastic, that's a certain skill set. But for me, mm. I think it's that them little sparkly moments where something happens and you you've got something that you didn't even like you're you didn't even know you were gonna say it. I did the bear cat the other night and it was the first one back since the second lockdown. And I did I did my usual sort of joke, 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 joke. And then I went into the audience and I just stayed in the... I, I, I was on stage and I, just, I was just thinking to myself, I'm having so much fun here because I'm chatting to them. I'm improvising jokes. That's fun. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. You've got the adrenaline. And I, that was when I... In my set, that was... I was at my happiest at that point. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. So fun. Yeah, it's good. I, I used to do a thing where I... um. So I really love that. I used to do a thing where I had a a big visual closure closer of the show, and it was always my closer of the show. And so I was I had a prop act when I was first doing stand up. I did props, and um, it let you do that improvising because you always knew you had that big closer. And then my son mm. Smug Roberts, I don't know if you know Smug Roberts. Uh, he's yes, Ma- Manchester act. He don't do it much. Yeah, I do know him. Yeah, mostly an actor. He had a, he he did two things, two different routines, at uh, as when Jonglers was Jonglers and Highlights days, and b- both those were one was him as a dad. So he's a, somebody's dad. He's got kids, and so he's been the dad, and he was dancing to S Club Seven, and that was in the charts at the time, and it was really well done, it was beautifully done. Mm. And I've never when he did that in Manchester Jonglers. And I was hosting and I went on after him. One night there, I'd never seen a bigger response to anything. And like, I've been on stage introducing uh, like big rock bands at the festivals. And yeah. and it literally was like they blew my hair back. They loved it so much. <laughs> but both he and I sat for a long time, oh, on many occasions, uh, talking about comedy. And it, we both had realized separately that having a big finisher was letting you get away with murder in the bet up to mm. it. You knew they were going to be happy by the finisher. They knew that big closer right. was going to make them happy. And it meant that we weren't doing as good. You needed that kind of fear a little bit. Yes. To make the juices flow or something. Yeah. It's similar, I suppose, to once you're famous and you kind of can rely on just being famous and then your material isn't as solid as it once would have had to be. Yeah. So I don't know that I heard this second or even third hand. But when Harry Hill got famous, so apparently, so Al Murray was telling me one time that in, in Harry Hill's house, so Al Murray, when he started being a, the pub landlord, mm. so productive, like on the, before that he'd been a sound effects act and he started being the pub landlord and he was so productive. Like, like every month when I would go to London, like once or twice a month, 
if I seen him in London, he'd have a brand new 20. He was so productive. It was like somebody had opened the pressure valve and yeah, all the yeah. stuff came out. And it's fantastic. And I said, you're, you're writing so much. He said, yeah, until I was at Harry Hill's house and I saw all of his shelves full of notebooks of jokes. And then I thought, oh, that's amazing, isn't it? I like that guy. Well, it's, it's good that he's writing so much. And then I heard this, the bit that I heard second or third hand, was that when Harry Hill had had his break and he was getting TV and stuff, he had all the time in London in those days, if you saw a, another or act to be announced, it was always Harry Hill. But he right. to the point where he'd do that mannerism, whatever that thing is he does, and they'd laugh. And he couldn't tell if the jokes were working anymore. <laughs> I always thought that, you know, for somebody with all those books of jokes, all those notebooks, yeah. all that productivity, to suddenly not with genuinely working. That's, that's like the kind of curse. That's like the gypsy's curse, isn't it? Yeah. You'll we'll keep writing that's jokes. Funny. You'll never know if they're funny enough. Because it's not quite the same, because obviously I'm not famous like Harry Hill and I'm... I don't do that kind of wackiness. But whenever I do new material, I, I usually keep the mic in the stand and do very little performance just so I know how strong the bit is. Right. Because if it stands up on its own without me performing it, then I know it's definitely going to be good. Hmm. But, but it's not quite, obviously it's not quite the same, but still the same logic. Hmm. So that's, that's a really interesting thing to do. I, lo I love it. I, I, I've, I realize with myself... So this came up at one point. I, I put a thing on Facebook once in one of the forums, and I said, "What well, when you have those comedians that are compares, but they don't do any jokes at all, they're not doing any jokes mm. at all, what are they? And somebody said, oh, they're cheerleaders, aren't they? And I thought, oh, that's good. And, and working with those cheerleader um, uh, hosts, MCs, you can have a great night. But I was mm. what, what are they as, as comedians? What, why are they not being a comedian why are they being a, a cheerleader and like don't get yeah. me wrong they're doing a fantastic job they mm. you'll have a brilliant night but i was thought well why don't they want to do some of their jokes and then i identified in myself i tend to do this i see something in others and i look mm. to see in myself so now you have said that putting the thing in the mic stand and just leaving it if i had yeah. gig, if i had a gig on thursday i'd do that and just see what okay cool i, I do immediately <laughs> just to see what it felt like if i had the freedom to it yeah yeah and nice I, and i realized that because so like big beards are less uh so anyone listening i've got a big beard they're less yep. uh, unusual now but i've had this for mm. 25 years it, it it i used i'm normally an unusual looking big character in a room and i know that i can do well just with strength of personality and that performance skills and so mm. that stops being enough after a while. After a while, you go, oh, well, I learned that. I probably learned that. Like you can learn yeah. three or four years in, you've learned that. So I thought <laughs> oh, it needs to stand. So I sometimes now try and make it stand up on paper so that if it was read, it's still funny. And it's not that I'm saying it in my accent or my rhythm. or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it stands alone on paper as an interesting exercise. Mm, because then you add that to your look all of a sudden you've got a massive bit hmm. or, or you've got, sometimes you've got something else. So, you know, I occasionally write for other comedians and some okay, yeah. stuff, you know, this expression, uh, Oh yeah, that's not right at the minute, but I'll put it in the draw. And so hmm. you go, you get a commission and you go, Oh, well, I've, I've got a book of jokes and you yes. can say, Oh, that suits that guy that this will suit that hmm. perfectly. So I think it is that, that if it's just, if it's just written on, you know, those acts that write on stage and mm. yeah, that works for them. I think if, if, if it doesn't for me, if, if I can't do it here at home, it, mm. just doing it on stage isn't enough. I need to do it at home yeah, same. on the, on the page. But I did do an Edinburgh show once that I didn't write down. I, I took mm. that as an experiment once and it did work. I did an Edinburgh show that was a true story that had a logical progression. Like it, told as a true story it was a journey and i mm. never wrote that show down and barely changed the whole month it was an end right. exercise yeah just went with it but it was a big story so that was partly the thing was because it was was a big yeah. story that was partly why it worked ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, maybe get 30, maybe get 20, 20, 20, maybe get 20, 20, maybe get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Martin Moore! Mo mo mo, how'd you like it? <laughs> how do you like it? Mo, Is that the words? Mo, mo. Yeah. How'd you like it? How do you like my love? And if you want to let us know how you like it, let us know the feedback at jokes with Mark uh, across all social media. We'd love to hear from you. Um, oh, actually, oh, 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 I moved my phone out of the way because you said that it might be causing feedback, but I just got it back in front of me, Joel. And we had some feedback last week, a little bit, and I remembered that someone sent some feedback, and I would have a look. So on, on Twitter, under the uh, post I made about the Simon Lomas episode, had lots of nice feedback, actually. Not just sort of, the feedback I'm going to tell you now is, you know, about one of the jokes, but a lot of people said to me, this is a really good episode, so... Oh, happy days. I'm glad everyone's enjoying it. Uh, I went to see a specialist about my sleep cycle. He gave me some stabilizers. I think that's actually all right. That's, that's from J Cloth seventy four <laughs> underscore J. If that is his real name, you've been had there. That's is that a bit of a huge ass. J Cloth, <laughs> good name, good name. I wonder what he's good hiding. Name. He's hiding something. His his uh, his profile picture is a J Cloth, <laughs> and <laughs> forty. He's got forty eight followers. Yep. Do I know any of them? I don't know any of them. Don't know any of them. Jay Cloth, man of mystery. Bow ties. He's, he's talent, talent Jones. No, don't know any of these people. And he's following. Oh, he's following quite a few people. All fo- he's following Tim Vine. So he likes the old one-liners. Ah, interesting. <laughs> Let us know uh, if you know Jay Cloth's true identity. <laughs> uh, get in touch at Jokes with Mark across all social media. I'd love to hear from you. Um, there we go. So, Jolly Boy. Um, Marky Mark. If you if you uh, enjoy this episode, did you enjoy any episode? We have plenty of bonus content over on Patreon. You can go and sign up over there at patreon.com forward slash jokes with Mark. Uh, anything you are you, 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 looking at your face, Joel, thinking you might want to say something else before we leave? No, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm oh, all out. Oh, we had a lovely review on uh, Apple Podcasts. And I'd bloody love it if we could have some more reviews over oh, there. Some so, more, more, more reviews. Some more, more, more Apple Podcast reviews. <laughs> Good so stuff. if you could go over... Uh, thanks, mate. If you go over there and uh, give us a five-star review, we would much appreciate that. And, uh, you know, if not, just, we're just glad you're listening and have a good time. Oh. So, uh, Joel, anything more from you, Joel? Nothing more for me, Mark. Anything more from you, Mark? Nothing more for me, Joe. Hashtag Aruga, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.